So Exodus 33, and we're going to read from verse 12. Exodus 33 and verse 12. So as we read together, Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not... Let me, who are you sending with me? You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you, and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked. Because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on who I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand in a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Thank you. Limp upstairs. Not bad for 319, am I? If you want to know why I say that, my wife says it, and as every husband knows, the wife is always right. So I'm born just after the English Reformation. It was a good time. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you for your written word. Thank you for the freedom that we have to read it, to study it, to listen to your voice as you speak to us through it. We thank you for the freedom that we have in this country to meet together. And Father, forgive us when we take these times for granted knowing that our brothers and sisters around the world are losing their earthly lives just because they are your children. Help us now as we go into your written word, as it reveals to us about your living word, Jesus, that we may leave here not only knowing that we have met with each other, but we have met with you, the living God. And all of God's people said, Amen. So the devotional life, the title we've been given, the last two words are a bit of a blank, even though Adam gave them away just recently. They were listening, to listening to who? 
The words indicated with stars will come to later. So what is this devotional life all about? Well, for the Christian, it can be defined as the obedient submission in all facets of life to God. That's certainly the historical meaning. That means the use of our time, our money, our energy, our life, along with prayer and worship and Bible study and other religious activities that are done in private rather than with other people. And as Christians, we are called to be God's light into the world, a world, a community where we Christians work, rest and play with. And in doing this, we need to have a devotional life where we spend time each day in simple prayer and Bible study. A time where God encourages and energizes us. Am I speaking too quick, Roger? Just a look on your face. And this devotional life of Bible study and prayer which goes on to affect every aspect of our life as God, the Holy Spirit, who lives within us, helps, encourages, transforms and reforms us. Bible study and prayer, which are used by God to develop our lives, both as individuals and as a church, into showing God to a society which is separate from God. And to be a Christian, as I'm sure you know, is to be in a relationship with God. It's a developing and maturing intimacy between God and the Christian. Could the same be said of you and me? We develop our intimacy with God through simple prayer, both in speaking and in listening. And the major way we hear God speak is through his word, the Bible. That's why the prayer and reading the Bible go hand in hand. How's your prayer life and your Bible reading going? A devotional life shows the Christian to be in a dynamic and living, intimate relationship with God and is a developing intimacy with God. God's even opening up the windows. Intimacy with God, which is going on in the Christian life, developing that relationship and refining that unique bond between God and yourself. It's a reminder to me constantly that I'm loved by God, regardless of how I'm feeling and how other people treat me. Could the same be said of you? How's your devotional life with God going? And so to our first part. Prayer. We are, I'm sure, very familiar with this, this subject. And our reading was an example of prayer from that man who saw all of the Lord that a person could possibly see and still live. A prayer of Moses coming at a time of deep crisis in his life as leader of Israel. Moses prays amidst the chaos of an unruly mob and at a time of supreme crisis. This prayer is a conversation, a discussion, and symbolic of the intimacy that Moses had with God. Moses, wrestling in prayer. Do you wrestle in prayer? 
And as we see here in Exodus 33, it includes an audacious request when Moses asked God, show me your glory. And he saw it. Would that not make you want to say, wow? What's the word? Come on, you're, I know you're English, but come on. Wow. I've no idea what he experienced. But see and experienced God, Moses did. God lives. He's not like the gods of the surrounding nations who are mere idols made of stone or wood. Moses knows that the God of Israel, his God, lives and is alive. How do we know God is alive? That word glory. When we think of the word glory, we usually think of the outer manifestation of light coming from God's presence and being. We think of glory as the honour which is due God's name for all his beauty and excellence which is beyond compare. That is indeed the glory of God, but that is only part of it. Just as love has various meanings dependent on its context in both the ancient Hebrew and Greek, so does this word glory. And the word glory in the Bible also means much more than these descriptions that we've been given. When Moses prays, Moses wants to see God's glory. That is glory defined as the weightiness of the ultimate reality which can only come from one place, God himself. He is who he is. I am the I am, God says. That's all we can say. God's glory is the radiance of his beauty, the authenticity of his truth, and the perfection of his character. God's glory. And Moses wants to see God, and Moses sees the back of God. And in doing so, Moses sees all of God the weightiness of God's reality with a visible manifested glory which shines and emanates outwardly with majesty, honour, beauty and excellence. It's the manifestation of all of God's reality, God's perfection and excellence, his goodness, his holiness and the weightness of his reality. Moses had a wow moment, didn't he? And what does all this have to do with us today? As Christians, we are to give all glory to God, regardless of what personal achievements we have, been, we have gained. His glory is to be our supreme concern so that God is number one in our life. And so we pray that his will is done in us as his people in the world and that his kingdom continues to grow until Jesus Christ, the Son of God, returns in majesty and glory one day. That will be a day of wow, won't it? Oh, come on, in English. In America, they go nuts, but then they're American. Will you be there? It is this God to whom we, as individuals and as a community of believers, talk to and pray. Praying as we converse with, discuss with, are consoled, encouraged, comforted, and of course challenged by our God. Is that your experience of prayer? It's certainly been mine over the last couple of days at least. And prayer is spiritual warfare, along with the Bible. There are weapons. 
and weapons of defense as well as attack. Prayer and reading the Bible at the center of our relationship with God. As we saw in that prayer of Moses in Exodus, prayer is a way of letting God in, inviting and letting God uh, into the life of the person, into us, and of enjoying the company of God, relating all aspects of life to him. Prayer is a means of protection for us in that we often are too weak in our own understanding and strength. God himself assists us as we pray where our desires and yearnings are corrected and, and strengthened by him. Prayers expressing desires and thoughts offer a contributory way to the journey that we are on to God, with God. And prayer is ultimately what we were made for, conversing, listening and communicating with God. Is it not? This dynamic relationship enables us to pray prayers that are both personal and relational. Prayer is the forerunner to the day when we as Christians will know fully even as we are fully known. That's what Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians in chapter 13. Prayer is ultimately what we were made for, conversing, listening and communicating with God. And this dynamic relationship enables us to engage in prayer which is both personal and relational. Is that your experience of prayer? Prayer is the forerunner to the day when we will know fully even as we are fully known. And all prayer consists of a desire of longing to know God better and that is to be our prime motivation, to know God better. That's why it's a spiritual weapon and it's also the reason Satan tries to stop us from praying. Have you ever found that? You want to go pray and then something turns up. The phone rings. Someone calls you. Some interruption somewhere. Again, is that just my experience from the last 37 years of being a Christian? And now to the function of prayer. The act of communicating, conversing with, and listening to God. And this reveals a constant hunger within us for our help and assistance of God for God's glory alone. It's consolidating our desires toward our whole life, our worship and knowledge of God. Prayer emits our words from ourselves to the God we seek to know as a response to his reaching out to us. It's through the Bible that desire to know God and to be known by God evolves and develops. We'll look at that in part two. That's why prayer and Bible reading go hand in hand so intimately. And in prayer, we express our adoration of God, confess our sins to him and accept his forgiveness. We thank him, ask him to help ourselves as well as for other people and for circumstances which come to our knowledge. And through prayer, God is able to comprehend and understand us regardless of our level of education, our place in society, our language skills or lack thereof. Our God is amazing, is he not? And words, however, are not just to be a mental action, but also an emotive act conveying emotions and feeling. Prayer is to convey deep emotions, feelings and expressions to God regardless of our language skills. And the words spoken in prayer portray our innermost feelings and desires to him. 
Because God is personal, he values language and expects his people to talk to him. And if for some reason we're unable to convey the, our words in prayer, then as Paul intimates in Romans chapter 8, God who lives within us, the Holy Spirit, intercedes for us. Isn't that amazing? And prayer epitomizes the father-child relationship symbolized in our relationship with God. It further symbolizes the freedom and peace in and of prayer advocated by Jesus to communicate his deepest needs as we see in John chapter 17 before he goes to the cross. That's the talking and conversing part of communication in prayer. But there's another section, listening in prayer. How is your silence in prayer? Your listening skills in prayer as part of your part, prayer life. Are we so busy talking that we forget to listen and let God speak? Or am I alone in that? We're 21st century people. We don't like to be silent, do we? But then I'm from the 17th century, so I wouldn't know about that. And as God speaks to us through the Spirit into our life, he speaks where our desires and yearnings expressed in prayer are changed by God to match the desires and yearnings that he has for you and I. Silence, a forgotten part of prayer in the 21st century. And one final question before we take a break for a song. I'm sure it's a question we've all been asked or asked at one time. Does God answer all prayers? First of all, the answer we expect may not be the answer we get. So often we pray expecting one outcome, expecting one answer, and we get something totally different. Then we think that God hasn't answered our prayer. Or is it, again, is that just my experience? Sometimes the answer he gives is yes, at other times it may be no or even not yet. And we remember that God works outside of our restrictions of time and space and therefore we learn to trust his judgment and wisdom. We're to acknowledge that he is the master and we are to be his servants. And that's sometimes when we pray, we treat God as if we are the masters and he's our servant. Again, is that just my experience? I know I've heard some prayers by international church leaders whose public prayers are just like that. Not here, though, I assure you, Adam. There are various reasons we can give as to why prayers are seemingly neither heard or answered. Through because of our own disobedience, our doubt, our pride, our selfishness, maybe because of unconfessed sin. Or God isn't answering our prayers due to no reason that we can possibly see, comprehend or understand at that point in time. But later the answer becomes clear. Again, is that just my experience? Are you tonight waiting for an answer to prayer? As the writer of Psalm 27 says, we wait patiently, another 21st century problem, because we're not that patient, are we? We wait bravely and courageously for our Lord to hear 
our cries and answer us. 2 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to read from verse 10. So again, should we, should we read it together? But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought we to You ought to live holy, godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are difficult to understand which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other description for their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard, so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, to him be glory, both now and forevermore. Amen. Ah, those words of Peter. So that was prayer. Wrestling in prayer, which is speaking, conversing, questioning, and listening to this most amazing God of wow. And now to our second part, the Bible, where we know for sure that our God speaks. We believe that God has spoken. Indeed, we believe that our God has roared. We believe that God has spoken to this world because he loves this world. The Bible. There are three words which summarize what we Christians believe about the Bible. I think we're at the right one. Who knows? We're somewhere in there. There are three words which summarize what Christians believe. There's revelation, which is God has caused the truth to be revealed. There is inspiration, God has caused the truth to be recorded. And then there is illumination, where God has caused the truth and causes the truth to be understood. And we could look at each of these separately tonight, but you may or may not be relieved to know that we aren't. We go on to something else putting into practice what God has said in the Bible. And we use a word for it, which it again has almost lost its way in the modern church and world. And that is the word meditation. God's words become a delight to us as we follow his decrees and commands, and a sense of wonder is instilled within us 
as we meditate upon them. Strength overcomes tiredness as we listen to God speaking to us through the Bible. And for some people, particularly today, meditation is seen as to be passive and involves being quiet, saying a chant, letting the mind go blank if it's not already blank already, and seeking to experience God of some form or manner or something. But meditation for the Christian is not like that. Meditation for the Christian is active. It is a filling of the mind with what the Spirit reveals through the Bible and not the emptying of thought. It's also not seeking to merely experience God's presence, as God is always present with the believer through the indwelling of the Spirit. Meditation is where imagination is involved and allowing God to speak through the Bible to us. And how is this done? While aiming at the renewing of our minds, and meditation involves both our reason and our intellect. Now, granted, some, pe some people have more reason and intellect than others, but we all have it to certain degrees. And the use of reason and intellect in meditation is achieved through the mental and spiritual process of reading the Bible so that it becomes a living part of our life. Is that your experience of reading the Bible? And by internalizing God's words from the Bible into our mind, God's thoughts become our thoughts. Meditating on the Bible enables the words of the Bible to infiltrate all areas in my life and in your life. For meditation to be effective, a time of silence, again that horrible 21st century word, silence, and solitude are prerequisites as they are an aid to meditation, reflection and understanding. And here is one example of how to meditate and it involves four words. Our first word is memorization. It's to rebuild our thought patterns by memorizing words and the Bible passages, especially those related to problems we may be facing or for those that glorify God in his fullness. Then there's visualization. It's to try and understand God's words and thoughts from his point of view. And it's personalization, trying to express the words of Bible in the first person, what does it mean to me? And then finally, activation, which is to draw new conclusions and make new life-changing decisions based on the Bible as the Spirit reveals them to us and enables us to change because we use His power and not because we're using ours. Well, again, is that just my experience? I mean, I've only been a Christian 37 years. And I'm still learning. And this all helps in the process of becoming more like Jesus, which is our journey, is it not? Reading and meditating in the Bible does many things for us. It equips us for service of God and for pointing others to God. Again, is that your experience? It equips us to use our spiritual gifts and our talents so that the whole church, local, national and worldwide, is encouraged and that God, therefore, is glorified locally, nationally, and internationally. Spiritual maturity derives from building Bible knowledge into our very lives. 
Again, is it just me who's aware of this? Are you aware of this? And one of the very key teachings from the Bible, as you sure, as I'm sure that you know better than I, is that God can be known personally. Personal knowledge of God is ultimately crucial because knowing God personally and developing the relationship that we are in is what we are to do. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 52.47 weeks of the year. We should be rejoicing that God earnestly desires us to attain this knowledge of him in order to know him more and more. And what's more, to encourage others to do so. The Apostle Peter, in our second reading, commands that we grow in the knowledge of Jesus as part of our spiritual journey. Are you doing that, my friends? We could change Ringwood with God's help, couldn't we? But why do we do this? We do this in order to become more like Jesus as we develop an intimate knowledge of God and develop our intimacy with him. Meditating on the Bible helps us to grow into spiritual maturity and into the ultimate goal of becoming like Jesus as one day we will be. We are to read and meditate on the Bible regularly, knowing the desire to be like Jesus is the goal. Interacting with not just the parts of the Bible we like, such as Leviticus, not just the parts which comfort us, but also the parts which we find challenging and difficult to understand. This is to lead to what we read from that letter of 2 Peter, where the Christian disciple will be making every effort to be found spotless, blameless and at peace with God. Again, does that describe your experience of reading and studying the Bible and meditating upon it? We study the Bible because what we truly believe about God ultimately affects how we will behave. As we put into practice what we learn, we grow to live a life of total obedience to Jesus Christ, who is not just our friend, but who is to be our Lord. Again, is that just my experience? Because I see Christians all the time saying all sorts of nonsense. Not here, I must add. Not here. Am I forgiven? So we hunger and thirst after righteousness, and this can only come through the work of the indwelling Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who lives within us, fills us, marks us as God's child, and seals our salvation as God's child. And as our mind is renewed, transformed, and reformed, of Romans 12, verse 1, with learning about Jesus Christ from the Bible, we put into practice what we have learned. Do we not? Our life as a Christian is reformed and transformed to the glory of the God whom we proclaim and we say that we serve. Does not, not might you want to go, wow? Being a Christian is full time, 24 hours a day, 52.4 weeks of the year. Every day, our devotional life speaks into that, into our places of work, home or leisure. We engage in active daily prayer and Bible reading in our devotional life as we dedicate and devote all aspects of our life to him. And as we have seen from 2 Peter 3, the Apostle Paul commands that we grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. Are we growing in the knowledge and grace of Jesus? 
We do this as part of our spiritual journey, our life of utter and complete devotion to our God in order that we become more like him. And one of the Christian life's greatest delights of my life as a Christian in the 21st century is developing this intimate relationship that I have with God and being in relationship with him. I talked about that last year. Do you know him? How's your devotional life of praying and Bible reading leading you to being reformed and transformed by God for God's glory as you use and develop the giftings, the talents and the life that he's given you as his child? So let's conclude. We started off by defining what a devotional life is. A devotional life is the Christian in a dynamic and living relationship with Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A person who has an ever-developing intimacy with God. Again, 21st century people don't like, particularly in the church, don't like the word intimacy, do we? I you get that, as I said last year. Intimacy with God, which is going on with the Christian life, developing our relationship with God, and refining that unique bond between God and ourselves. A devotional life with God developed through simple prayer and Bible study. A life devoted to God. God who is the ultimate reality and when he puts his stamp on things, what happens? Things happen, don't they? How's your devotional life? Are you writing down your prayers and seeing how God has answered them? Are you writing down your thoughts as you read your Bible and how the Holy Spirit has used them to change your life to the glory of God the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ, the Son of God? And now for the second part of our title, What Mine? It's a bit personal, isn't it? I have a devotional life. Did you know that? And these verses on the screen behind me from Hebrews 12 were given to me about 37 years ago at my baptism in Australia. I may have forgotten many things in intervening years, but I still remember these. As I run the race, I fix my eyes on Jesus and I consider it a joy to do so. I'm a Christian and I've been so for about 37 years. What was this about mobile phones? Who knows? Been a Christian now for 37 years. Initially, much to the dismay and the chagrin of my parents. Good old-fashioned teenage rebellion at its finest. I know now there is no other way to be. I love God, and I know beyond all doubt that he loves me, despite my frequent tears and tantrums towards him. God knows me best, and I seek to acquiesce to his love and his knowledge in all aspects of life. He is the master and yet amazingly wonder of wonders. He is willing to hear my voice. I'm in an intimate relationship with God because of him alone through his wellsprings of grace, love and mercy alone. His desire is to have me serve him and for him to lavish his love upon me in all manner of ways and in all circumstances of life. God comforts me in my challenges and challenges me in my comforts all for his sake and for his glory. Is that your own experience of God? I've devoted my whole life to him. Each day I pray and study about him and try to put into practice what I have learnt. 
Did you know that one day you'll be normal like me? You, if you're a Christian, will be like Jesus, but with your own distinct personality and character, as will I. So you'll be normal like me. As we wrestle in prayer and Bible study is the mark of those who've gone before us as they shared what they have received from God. People like Luther, Calvin, the Wesleys, Bunyan. And a devotional life leads to transformation which leads to reformation. The church, both as individuals and corporately, is to be constantly reformed as well as being transformed. And everything we do... uh, Results from our devotional life of prayer and Bible study. As we put into practice what we learn from God through prayer and Bible study. As we wrestle in prayer as Moses did. Or we wrestle with the scriptures as Peter did with the Apostle Paul, it seems. Our lives are being changed and transformed to the glory of God we have devoted our lives to. Do people outside the church, are they aware of that in our lives? And as far as my recalcitrant memory allows me, I've only ever audibly heard the voice of God once. And I know that you've heard the story before. Back in 2007, it was the week before our dissertation was due to be handed in at Morelands. And I went to the GP because I was feeling a little bit dodgy. And while I was in with the GP, I collapsed. And while I was unconscious, I distinctly remember saying, Dad... I want to come home now. And at which point I distinctly heard a voice saying, no, I've got a job for you to do. Sit up. And with that I sat up and the attending paramedics fainted. And we've been doing that job ever since 12 years come May. Everything I do results from my devotional life to Jesus Christ. Each podcast, each book, each talk and each prayer and each interaction every day. As I've said to you before, the world is my parish and I can reach them one by one. I may reach up to 100 countries a day and I hope and pray that God is glorified through them and that people are encouraged and enthused by what we do. And the results of my Bible study are not for me to keep to myself, but to give to others by all means possible. That way somebody else is hopefully encouraged, helped in their thinking about God. That they are enthused about Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God the Father. One day I may meet them. I think that more Christians should share their devotional learning. How about it? And each morning I wake up and say, Morning, Dad. What are we up to today then? I'm a morning person, by the way, much to the dismay of my wife. And at the end of the day, I know God has been with me and gone ahead of me at each moment. I make mistakes. I sin against him. And when I come to him in penitence and faith, God always forgives me, picks me up, brushes me down and tells me that he loves me and forgives me. I yearn for perfection. I crave it. One day I shall be perfect just as Jesus is perfect. I'm not as bad at reacting to my own imperfection as I used to be, so fear not. Our God is the God of the second chance. In my case, he's the God of the two millionth chance. God is love and demands our love. Not just love, but love! 
That woke you up. God knows you and I, noticing the big things and noticing the small things. God is ever-present, ever-knowing, and yet he cares for me. I still want to know why he sent an Australian to England. I, my folks used to say that I was their revenge on their motherland. So I can be obedient to my parents. So prayer and the Bible demand my love of him. Each night before sleeping, I say, Good night, my God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you for another day of life, and I pray you are glorified. And the question in view of that as we close is, how is your devotional life going? Your prayer life, your Bible reading, and your study. Do you have an outlet for what you have learnt from God in your life? Who do you share your testimony about how you became a Christian with? Is your devotional life strong, vibrant, and effervescent? Can we tell about your devotional life as we look at you? So if not, pray and change. Maybe you have trouble getting a devotional life of prayer and Bible reading going or maintaining it. Why not ask somebody to hold you accountable to your daily times with God? And if you need ideas for your daily devotions or your quiet time, there are plenty of resources out there in the foyer. And before we really do close, there is a warning to be had. We, as Christians, as part of God's wider body of people here in Ringwood, are not to be so heavenly minded that we are of no earthly use, just as we are to not to be so earthly minded that we're of no heavenly use. As Peter exhorts us in his second letter, Jesus is coming back. We don't know when, but he's coming back. Will he find us living lives worthy of him or somehow find us not watching and waiting for him as we live our lives for ourselves and not for him alone? And as we go into this week, into our homes, our places of work, where we shop, relax, eat, places of leisure. May God alone be glorified as we let him use our life for his glory, renown and honour alone. May each of our lives be devoted totally to the God we worship. A life devoted to him as we seek his voice and reality into our lives. Lives devoted totally to him in all aspects of life as we pray to him and read the Bible. Praying reading the glory of God the Father through God the Son in the power of God the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine a community of people doing just that and the impact that that community would have on the wider community where they work, rest and play? On the wider world even. That's my prayer. We started with the devotional life, what mine we can conclude with the devotional life. What about yours? Let's pray. Father, once again, we thank you for this, your written word. We thank you for the freedom that we have. And I pray that you were glorified and honoured through the words that you gave me to, to speak here tonight. May our worship be acceptable to you here tonight. And may we go from here knowing that we have met with you to be a light into our community about your goodness and about your holiness and about your love and all of God's people said 
Amen.